This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. In this, this series called Living Out Loud. And, um, and in this, I've, I've broken it into kind of three mini-series in the midst of this. The first one uh, was called You're Full of It. And we talked about what's inside of our heart eventually comes out, right? We can't hide it for long. We talked about from day one, the human heart is filled with selfishness. Can we agree? We talked about how Jesus came because of this. He paid the ultimate price. And in that, we surrender our lives to him. We repent, surrender our lives to him. We become a new creation. Even though our spirit is new, our soul still has to be dealt with. Correct? And so uh, in this, we went on into the next series. We started the next series called The Proof is in the Fruit. Uh, our main scripture for this series has been 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you a part of it. We talked about how Jesus is no longer walking the earth like we see in the Gospels. However, he is still walking the earth. He is still healing and touching and bringing hope to the hopeless. He just looks different. He looks like you. And he looks like me. Because we're the body of Christ, right? Um, we're now commanded to go into the world, our everyday life, and to be Jesus to every person we come in contact with. Week one, we talked about what if Jesus should be seen in us. Number one, his heart, his love and compassion for others. Secondly, his hands, always at work, meeting the needs of others. Thirdly, his voice, always speaking the uncompromised truth and love. And fourthly, his feet, walking the talk, doing the work, not sitting on the sidelines, not waiting on somebody else to step in and do it. The next week, we talked about how do we impact people for Christ. And we talked about, in one, we always respect and honor people, even if they believe different from us, even if they look different from us. We respect and honor people because God respects and honors people. Secondly, we've got to watch our expectations. We're believers. We're walking with, we're walking with Jesus. We have the expectations of ourselves, but we can't put those expectations on unbelievers. We can't do it, but we tend to sometimes. And it comes in the form of judgment and condemnation. We've got to make sure that we receive people right where they're at. Thirdly, we've got to be a godly example. If we're going to be Jesus to people, we need to act like Jesus. Isn't that right? Sometimes we blow our witness in our responses and the things that we do and the things that we say in these moments when we lose it. We blow our witness and we find that we can't speak into that person's life anymore. And then lastly, we've got to see others as God sees them. Man, we see the outside of people and we make judgments based on that. However, God looks straight to the inside. He sees the purpose and he sees the potential. And that's what we've got to look to as well. We've got to see others as God does. Somebody created by Almighty God that he loves and he's desperate to have a relationship with. So we're going to, oh, and then we had last week, sorry. Last week we talked about how we've had, we have too many missed opportunities. We miss opportunities every day. That God brings into our life to be a blessing because of laziness, sometimes because we're self-absorbed, sometimes because we just don't have our eyes open, which was number two. We got to live with our eyes and ears open because God places these opportunities in front of us every day. We got to slow down. We got to look around for a minute because the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us and we can make a difference. And the last thing we finished with last week is we must be willing to obey because, you know, willingness toward God changes everything. We got to slow down. And we've got to decide that we're going to be willing and we're going to be obedient. And the Bible says when we do, we will experience the best in this life. We've got to be willing to run toward God, allowing him to be our confident, our constant, our rock. So can we all agree that as believers, we have a job to do? There's never, we never have an excuse to sit still, to sit on the sidelines. How many of you remember, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, I was thinking about Esther. How many of you remember Esther, she had a job to do, right? And right at the beginning, 
This whole thing's coming to light of what she was going to have to do. And we see Mordecai, who is uh, her, her cousin and, and adopted father, uh, we see Mordecai giving her a little bit of, pep, a little bit of a pep talk. And in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, he says, And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. How many of you have heard that scripture before? He's basically saying, he's saying, Esther, you know what? This may be your moment. This may be why you were born. This may be your purpose. This may be why you're here. Take the opportunity. Jump at it. Don't walk walk away from this. Don't dismiss it. And this got me thinking, I believe that all of us were born at exactly the right time in history, in exactly the right place in history. I don't believe that for a moment that it was an accident. There is not one person born into this earth that was a mistake. I don't care if your parents told you that. There's not one person born into the earth that's a mistake. We were born and planned with purpose for this time and this place in history. I was looking at Acts chapter 17. And Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, and it said, and he, made, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth. How many of you would say, that's me? All of us were made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling. Basically, God chose when and where every human being would live in the history of the earth. That they should seek God and perhaps find their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. I believe that we were all born at exactly the right time, at exactly the right place. And it's all connected. It's all part of God's plan. God knew every single person that you would encounter in your life. And that's all part of his plan for your life and for theirs. You say, for theirs, what's connected? You are. You are. Their encounter with you. You are the hands and feet of Jesus in their life. You were born at the right time, at the right place, around all the right people. These things are orchestrated. People say, well, nothing in this life happens by accident. I get what people are saying. I don't know if I always 1,000% agree with that statement. However, when it comes to our interactions with people, God orchestrates these things, and he wants to be intimately involved. Every time we meet another person, we're presented with a God opportunity. Why? Because we're Jesus to that person, and Jesus is always on his game. Jesus is always ready to touch. He's always ready to love. He's always ready to heal. Now, how many of you know that rarely does this happen at an opportune time? Usually when this happens, the kids are screaming and the phone is ringing. You're in a hurry. But what do you do in that moment? Let me say this. If these are God opportunities every time we encounter a person, then by definition, it's not going to fit into our schedule. True? So, can we agree that we all have busy lives and that we miss many God opportunities? Can we agree with that? Can we recognize that we're the hands and feet of Jesus and we have a job to do? I believe that we do have a job to do 
until we, as long as we have breath in our lungs. The important thing, I believe the most important thing that we can do in this life is to lead and direct people to the Lord, right? I believe that he's setting up these meetings, he's setting up these encounters every day of our life. So what do we do to eagerly fulfill that purpose? That would be our purpose, his purpose for us, every day of our lives. And this will be, be the last message in this, in this sub-series. And if you want to follow along, you've got a note sheet in your service guide, and you can fill in the blanks. But uh, I've, got, I've got four things I want to mention to you this morning. The first thing I want to say is, number one, pray for God opportunities. Pray for God opportunities. Many of you know Isaiah 6, 8. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. God's looking for people. Now, here's the reality of this. I'm, I'm saying pray for God opportunities. And in the same breath, I'm saying I believe that God is setting these up and that we're missing them. And I, I totally believe that's true. But what happens when we begin praying and asking God to use us? What happens when we begin asking God for more divine opportunities? What happens when we begin thanking him for these divine moments that we can show love and care for the hurting and the lost? I think that what happens is we start to become more aware of those moments. I think our eyes are more open than ever before when we really, we start watching for them and we start noticing them. We start becoming aware of them. We're also in this moment when we start praying for God opportunities, we're also declaring that God's purpose is the most important thing in our life. That's huge. It's in those moments that we're saying, God, I'm here. God, use me to make a difference. God, use me to accomplish your will. Interrupt my plans. Fulfill your purposes through me. God is carrying out his plans in the earth. And God does place each of us right where he wants us. I believe that he creates and arranges circumstances and draws people together and to draw people to himself. With this in mind, these moments need to be the desire of our heart. Not just that, we need to be ready for them. Acts 1.8 says, and you all know this, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll become my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. We know this is right before Jesus ascended into heaven, right? He's standing there before the, before the disciples. They don't know what's about to happen. And so Jesus here, he's basically here as their coach, and he gives them a final pep talk, right? He basically says, all right, guys, your time has come. It's your turn. I've taught you. You know what you've got to do. Receive the Holy Spirit and go forth. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. What is the appeal? We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we do, right? We go forth into the world and we say, we've got great news. You can get your life right with God. There's hope, right? We've got to pray that God would use us. We need to be praying that every day. We need to pray that God would use our church. We need to pray that he would interrupt our plans so that we would have opportunities to be a blessing and to share his love with others. We've got to pray that he would open doors in our lives 
and that our eyes would be open to see what it is that he's doing around us. Acts 14, 27 says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened doors of faith to the Gentiles. So from that last part of the statement there, we can probably assume that this is a, when they gathered together, this was a group of Jews, all Jewish people that all gathered together. And they're declaring what God had done. What had God done? They, they were sharing that God has opened the door so that we can share Jesus with the rest of the world. Not just the Jewish people, but to the Gentiles as well. 1 Corinthians 16.9 says, For a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Again, he's declaring, God has opened a door before me. How many of you know we need to pray that God opens doors in our lives, that we can be a blessing to others? God opens many doors, but it says here, there are many adversaries. What are the adversaries? Well, that's a church. Our first response would be, well, the devil. <laughs> we don't need the devil. We got Netflix. We got reality TV and sporting events and reading the news and surfing the web, social media, procrastinating, just staring at our phone nonstop like a zombie. We don't need the devil to distract us. True? Colossians 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, pray diligently. How are we supposed to pray? It says, stay alert. What are we supposed to do? Stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. Don't forget to pray for us that God would open doors for telling the mystery of Christ even while I'm locked up in this jail. Not only is Paul praying, he's asking other people, pray for me, pray for me. The doors will be open that I can share the good news. While you're in jail? While I'm in jail. We're not in jail. We're free. How much more should we be praying? We, we would think jail would be an excuse to say, well, God can't use me. I'm sitting in, this, sitting in this cell, chained up, my hands and my feet. He's praying for open doors and asking people to pray for him for more open doors while he's sitting in a jail cell. What excuse do we have? We've got to pray for God opportunities. We've got to pray for open doors in our lives. Number two, if we're going to pray this, number two, we've got to be ready for God to respond. We've got to be ready. Now, as believers, hopefully we believe that when we pray, God listens, that God hears us. We also should believe and expect then we pray, God will answer, right? So when we pray that God will use us to make a difference in the lives of others for him, how much more do you think he'll answer that prayer? 2 Chronicles 19, I'm sorry, 16, 9. It says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support. Say, strongly support. Those whose heart is completely his. When we start praying and desiring to be used by God, we should wake up every morning totally expecting it. We shouldn't expect anything different. This means that we've got to get our agenda and our plan 
out of the way sometimes. Sometimes it's going to get jacked up. How many of you, like me, when you're out in public, when I'm following my wife around with the grocery cart, I'm glued to my phone the whole time. Pushing the cart as she's dropping stuff in. Swiping through. Am I ready for a God opportunity? Of course not. We have to be available and we have to be engaged looking for those open doors, looking for those opportunities to love, to bless, to speak with people. We have to be willing to speak up, to get involved, to ask questions, to encourage. We have to be watchful and expect God opportunities instead of being distracted. It's so funny. I think Sean and I, I think our roles are kind of reversed. I used to be more... I used to be more that way, and I've found, like many of us, I've gotten more glued to this thing, and I've found how often that she's speaking up to people in lines and just stopping and saying, hey, how are you, and, and making conversation with people. I used to encourage her to do that. <laughs> now she's going to encourage me some to do that. As I said before, many times we base what we feel is our ability to, um, to be used by God, we, we base whether or not we'll be used by God on our ability. In reality, we've got to base that on our availability. God's not looking for ability. He never has. He's looking for availability. Are we making ourselves available to him? So let's start easy. If we've got to get ready for open doors and divine appointments, when's the last time you invited one of your neighbors over for dinner? Easy open door. We, Sean and I did it a while back. We'd been living there for four years. We had the neighbors next door. We, we talked to them. We were outside in the driveway, you know. And it was always very surface. And we stopped and we, I just, one day we were out there and I just said, you know what? We, we've never shared a meal with you guys. Y'all want to come over for dinner? We don't do those kind of things anymore much, do we? People don't talk face-to-face much anymore, do they? Everything's text message or everything's hurried and rushed. When's the last time you invited a neighbor over? Doesn't mean anything's necessarily going to happen, but it, open, it allows a space for God to open a door and to do something in our lives and through us. We need to be ready to share what God has done in our life. Look, as believers, each one of us have a testimony, but I don't mean to sound bad, but I'll bet if we were put on the spot, half of us couldn't come up with anything in a moment. We got to be ready. We got to be ready to share the difference that God has made in our life. Not every conversation will necessarily go that far. But are you ready for the moment when you're in the grocery store and somebody falls on their knees in front of you in tears and says, What must I do to be saved? I think most believers today would be like, Ah, uh, you want to come to church with me? we've got to be ready if we truly want to be used by God. If we're going to pray and ask God to use us and present open doors and to give us God opportunities, he's not going to do it until we're ready. We, we love to quote the scripture, God ain't going to give me more than I can handle, brother. Then we need to get ready to handle more, right? We've got to practice these things, and we've got to be ready when he does open the door, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more in the next series. But we got to pray for God opportunities. we got to be ready for God to respond. 
Number three, I want to spend a minute on this. We need to pray for spirit-led wisdom. There is not a lot of wisdom in the world anymore. There is no such thing as common sense because it ain't common. Is that not true? We should have more than common sense as believers. We should have the wisdom of God. And we need to pray for spirit-led wisdom. What do I mean here? One, I think we need to know the wisdom sometimes on when to speak and when not to. I think we need to have the wisdom to know what to say and what not to say in a moment. James 1.19 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. I hear people say, well, brother, as a Christian, I cannot be silent. How of you know that sometimes being silent and listening is the best thing that you could possibly do? Proverbs 10, 19 says, too much talk leads to sin. How many of you have talked too much and it led to sin? We've all done it. Come on. Y'all lying. Proverbs eleven twelve says, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Most of us in this room would say, well, I would never belittle my neighbor. However, you'll get in a political argument with them in the driveway and make them feel like their opinion and their views are stupid. It's wrong. Sometimes we need to be silent. And we need to know when to speak and when not to, what to say and what not to say. Proverbs 17, 28 says, I love this. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's considered prudent. Sometimes we can be foolish, but if we would just shut our lips, we would be considered prudent. True? I think sometimes the reason the world has the view of Christianity and the church that it does is because Christians won't shut their mouth sometimes. Just, just, just. I was, um, I, I, started a, I, started a book, I started a book this week. It's called The Daniel Dilemma. Anybody read The Daniel Dilemma? It's subtitled, How to Stand Firm and Love Well in a Culture of Compromise. Written by Pastor Chris Hodges at Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. And in the first few chapters, he tells the story. Uh, he says uh, a guy came up to him in the church and, uh, and said, Pastor, I want to buy you a suit. He was like, you know, okay. He goes, no, I want to buy you the best suit. I want to get you a tailored suit. I want you to go get fitted and get the best of the best suit. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. So this guy gives him a card, says, go visit this guy. He's the best tailor in the region. And so, um, so he drives and, and goes to this, uh, this little shop of this, this man um, who it turned out was Hindu and uh, goes there to visit him. And, and he said, as he came in, this, this gentleman had all his Hindu gods on the walls. And uh, so he said he went on in and, and said he had a great time, great conversation with the guy. So the guy measured and measured more stuff than he thought he had, said it was just nuts. And um, he said when it came time to leave, he thanked him so much and made the next appointment. And the man kept saying, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor. And he, he, said, he said, you're not what I expected. And Pastor Chris turned around and looked at him and said, well, what did you expect? And he basically, he said, I've had many um, prominent pastors and ministers come in here he said they immediately see my gods on the wall and they immediately begin trying to convince me that you know they're false gods and that if I don't turn away from them that I'm going to hell he said 
you came in here and, and you spoke with me as an equal. Showed honor and respect. And Pastor Chris apologized. He said, I'm sorry. He said, that's not the Jesus I know. And um, he said, uh, he said I, I would love for you to come see how we worship at my church. And said so the guy smiled and ended up coming and bringing somebody else with him. Sometimes being silent, not immediately speaking up, sometimes it's the best thing that we can possibly do. We need wisdom. We need to know when to speak and when not to speak, what to say and what not to say. Well, people say, well, I'm just going to be led by the Spirit speaking the truth. How many of you know that there's a little thing in, called self-control that is a fruit of the Spirit? Sometimes being, following the Spirit can be keeping our mouth shut. Led by the Holy Ghost, not saying a thing. In Luke 10, Jesus told his disciples, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. How many of you know that sometimes we've got to know when to walk away from a situation? I've, I've known believers to say, well, I, well, I can't walk away from the situation. I can't, I'll, it's, I'm, I'm giving up. No, I'm not saying you've given up. But sometimes, you gotta, sometimes it's time to walk away. That requires wisdom. It requires being led to the Spirit. How many of you know there are people out there that will drain you like a leech? They will rob you of time and of resources and energy and leave you empty and depleted. Some people just want to argue with you. Some people just want to take advantage of you. Some people will reject you. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples to move on from a house or town if they weren't welcome there. We see Paul and Barnabas um, in Antioch in, in Acts chapter 13. says they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went on to Iconium. In Mark chapter 1, verses 36 and 39, I want to look at this for just a second. It says, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Okay, so this is Simon. Uh, we assume this is the other disciples that are with him. They are going and they're searching for Jesus. Okay? So Jesus obviously, who knows? Maybe he went off to pray. Maybe he went to visit somebody. Maybe he went off to go to the bathroom. Who knows? But he was gone, right? Simon and the disciples are looking for him. In verse 37, it says, And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now, how many of you know? Somebody's looking for Jesus. We've talked about it for weeks now. Jesus responds. His eyes and ears are always open. He goes out of his way, and he goes, and he meets that need, right? So what does he do? And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns. Then I preach there also, for that is why I came. And they went throughout all Galilee, preaching in synagogues and casting out demons. So the disciples have come looking for Jesus because there was people that needed him over here. Now, when people needed Jesus, every time we see it in the Bible, they need something, right? They need ministry of some, or water turned to wine, who knows? But they need something from him, right? So we got people who are probably in need, who are needing Jesus. They tell him that. Everybody's looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the next towns. Why did Jesus leave? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a clue. <laughs> but I know that there was a reason. And that tells me if there's moments that we move on. That we don't, we, we don't keep spinning our wheels, doing the same thing over and over again. We move on. We got to realize also in this, in using wisdom, how many of you know, that you can't reach every lost person in the world. You can't do it. I see people who 
this finally hits them, and they come alive with it, and they are determined to reach every breathing thing in the world for Jesus. Awesome. Now, let me tell you this. If it's consuming you to the point that you can't get sleep and your family's falling apart, it's time to get wisdom. Right? We can't reach every person, and we weren't meant to. This is a team effort. The key is we need to do our part. We've got to pray for the Lord to help us walk in wisdom. We've got to rest in the fact that Jesus is the Savior, meaning he's the one that saves, not us. That's why Pastor Chris could walk in there and love this man and not have to try to save him. Because Jesus is the Savior. All he did is he went in with the love of Jesus. Does this make sense? And the last thing I want to mention under this point is we also, in using wisdom, we need to know when our good plans are getting in the way. What do I mean by good plans? Well, let's look real quick at Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Y'all have read this before. It says, on the road, somebody asked if he could go along. Who did he ask? He asked Jesus. I'll go with you wherever, he said. And in verse 58, it says, and Jesus was curt. What does curt mean? He was short. He was blunt, right? Are you ready to rough it? We're not staying in the best ends, you know. Jesus knew this, where this guy's heart was at. Jesus said to another, follow me. But the man said, certainly, but first excuse me for a couple of days. I have to make arrangements for my father's funeral. Sounds like a good excuse, doesn't it? Jesus refused and said, first things first. Your business is life, not death, and life is urgent. Announce the kingdom of God. And he said to another, then another said, I'm ready to follow you, master. But first excuse me while I go get things straightened out at home. Jesus said, no procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. I've heard many people say that this seems unfair. And we look at this, and it seems like these people's requests were uh, not only simple, but important. I believe that these are excuses that we would use, um, you know, to delay. I don't know if you could come up with a better excuse to delay something. But I think that's exactly what it would be. People would say, well, God would want me to go properly bury my family. God would want me to go uh, straighten out things at home. And I think these examples seem extreme, but we're all doing some good things in our lives. And I think this is how, this is our justification. This is the way we justify things. Well, what I'm doing is good. We, I, I need to do this. God would want me to do this. Yeah. Oh, it's good. But in reality, it may be getting in the way of God's will and purpose. I told y'all early on, we, we told our kids, for example. We told them, they, when they started wanting to be involved in sports and stuff, we told them you could be involved in one at a time. And we have seen families that have three and four kids that are doing two and three sports each, and that family has no time whatsoever. And really, what we're doing in those moments is we're teaching our kids that that's the most important thing consuming all of our time, our money, our resources, our energy. Seems like a good thing. I want to give my kid every opportunity. God would want me to give my kids all these opportunities. Really? Really? Think so? 
Or do you think maybe things need to be simplified because we're getting in the way of God's will and his purpose in our lives? This is where we've got to refuse to lean on our own understanding. We've got to trust God. We've got to use wisdom. We've got to be led by the Spirit. How many of you know that another way we can use wisdom is we need to surround ourselves by godly people who are going to give us the straight truth, aren't going to let us go astray off to the left or right, but they're going to come and get in our face and kick us in the tail if they need to. We need those people in our lives, but rarely do people seek them anymore. We've gotten too full of pride and arrogance. We've got to use wisdom if we're going to be ready for the God opportunities in, in, uh, that God sends our way. The last thing I want to mention, number four, I threw this on at the last minute. Know there's grace when we miss it. We've all missed it, guys. Here's the reality. We're human beings. And we tend, many times, to have deaf ears and hard hearts. And so we miss opportunities that God places before us sometimes. I told you last week about the God opportunity that I had at that car dealership a number of years back. I missed a moment. And, you know, honestly, inside, I beat myself up for a while about that. I missed it. God, I failed you. Here's the thing. We need to learn from our mistakes when we miss it. It's not necessarily a bad thing to feel bad, right? But we have to repent. We can't beat ourselves up because we've got to recognize that God's grace covers our sin. We don't use that as an excuse. Instead, we get things right, we learn from it, and we move forward. Our life is to declare the good news, the saving grace of Jesus. What's the good news? The good news is that Jesus came and died for the sinner. And thank goodness he also came and died for the believer who misses it. We miss it, we've got to repent, and we've got to prepare for the next opportunity that God brings our way. God is always wanting to use us, so let's actually draw near and let him do it. So the four points today, we've got to pray for God opportunities. We've got to be ready for God to respond to our prayers. Thirdly, we've got to pray for spirit-led wisdom in our lives. And lastly, we've got to know there's grace and we miss it. And I want to end with the two scriptures I ended with last week. Luke 9, 62. Anyone who lets himself be distracted from the work I planned for him isn't fit for the kingdom of God. Guys, we've got work to do. I got a couple of testimonies this week, a few, few of you, that reached out and shared the love of God with others. I wish it was about 20 times more. What's it going to take for God to get our attention? I think sometimes he's in front of us screaming and going, I've got your purpose. It's right in front of you. You'll love it. You'll be so satisfied. And we go binge watch Netflix for an entire day. What's it going to take for God to get our attention? Ezra 10.4, arise, for it is your task. We are with you. Be strong and do it. The last great move of God in the earth, I believe it's going to happen when the church actually rises up and does what they're supposed to. 
when we rise up and we actually choose that we are truly going to be who we're called to be, that we're going to be Jesus to those around us, that we're going to get our own agenda out of the way and we're going to allow him to move through us the way he wants to. Then we will see the world turned upside down for him. We will see things that we've never seen. And I believe, I've heard many people pray, Lord, your word says that we'll see greater works. We'll do greater works than, than Jesus did. I believe that's when we'll see them. When we truly get turned on to God, we get our own life out of the way, and we allow God to be God. Amen? Let's stand up together. I want to invite the worship team back up before we close. Let's all, let's all bow our heads. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I want everybody just kind of everybody just kind of get away in their own place before the Lord for a moment. As we always do every week, first thing I want to ask, the first missed, great missed opportunity of mankind. when we don't receive Jesus as the Lord of our life, when we don't repent, turn from our sin, and surrender our life to him. So if that's you and you recognize, man, this, this, this message barely applies to me because I'm not even following Jesus with my life, then this is your moment. You may have prayed a prayer before asking Jesus to be your Lord, but you didn't do the repent and surrender part. What you did is repeated some words and you realize that you're the one leading God in your life. You do what you want to do and that God is an afterthought. I would encourage you, don't delay another day. God is standing right there before you in this moment and he's pleading and saying, come to me. I am everything that you need. I am everything that you want. I will fulfill all the desires of your heart. I'll use you in ways that you can't imagine. He's pleading. He's a father that's desperate to have a relationship with you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If that's you and you would say, I have got to surrender my life to Jesus. I don't care if you've done it before. If you recognize that your life is in a place where it's not surrendered to God, I'm talking to you. If that's you and you would say, I don't want to miss this opportunity, I want you to lift up your hand. Who would say, yes, who else would say, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I've got to surrender my life today. If you got your hand lifted, just look up at me for a moment. Okay. Who else? I don't want to miss this opportunity. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. You can put your hands down. Look, we're going to pray a prayer together. Before we do, I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to I want you to focus on Jesus for just a moment. I want you to remember the life that he lived. I want you to remember the death that he died. And I want you to recognize that it was all for you. It was all for you. As you stand there, I want you to humble yourself before him. Get your own thoughts out of the way. 
position your heart in the position of surrender before him. And as we pray, as we say these words together, the Bible says that he will make all things new. As you surrender to him and you speak these words and you mean it with all your heart, you become a new creation. Your dead spirit is recreated by God. You become a new creation in him. promises everlasting life. Let me encourage you, like I did last week, that doesn't start with heaven, that starts right now. Your spirit comes alive. The God of all creation walks step in step with you everywhere that you go, every day. He uses you to bring that life to others. Let's all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making a way for me. I couldn't do it on my own. I've been lost in my sin. I've been self-consumed. I thought I knew what was best. But today, Lord, hand that all over to you. I choose to follow you. I choose to step into my purpose. I choose to let you guide the way. Jesus, today I declare that you are Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you say you are that you lived a perfect life, that you died on that cross for me, that you took my sin to the grave, but you rose again. And today, I rise with you, clean and new. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. I choose your way, the better way. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything you've called me to be. I'll follow you all the days of my life until my final breath. I thank you for saving me this day. In Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.